Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. We've got a bit of a special episode for you this week, where we'll be getting into the general goings-on around the cricketing world later in the episode. With the 100 draft taking place on Sunday, and the opposition building in intensity, we thought we'd try and have a bit of a deeper look into the whys and why-nots of the competition, as well as examining how the teams are shaping up. And with me, cricket commentator Kevin Hand, who covers Middlesex for BBC Radio London, and long-suffering guest, and just about Wisdom's The 100 correspondent, would you say? Tar Hashim. Uh, <laughs> welcome both. Kevin, how are you doing? Very well, thanks. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. And, and Taha, much the same, I hope? Not too yeah, bad? Yeah, not too bad. Long-suffering. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Well, let's start with the... I guess let's start ease into it with the 100 draft itself. Uh, Taha, I know you were there. Kevin, how, how did you follow it? Uh, TV. You Tri- well, tried to follow it via TV. Did, how, how far did you get through? I did it? do the three hours. I did the whole three hours. How did you find it as an event to watch? Because like, I uh, wasn't able to watch it. I followed it on Twitter. Taha, you were there. So that's a... Honestly, painful. I mean, I, everybody who follows me on Twitter is probably going to expect me to give that answer. But I did. I thought it let us down a lot on what we were told The 100 was about. Um, from a TV perspective... Um, I mean, one of the things that the 100 was, in all the conversations I've had, and you speak to the people who are pro the 100, you know, it's holding the hands of people who have never had anything to do with cricket before to pull them into the sport. You know, it's very visual, the countdown of the 100 and everything. The drafts, I was lost within 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, do you think, do you think that's fair? Do you think it did, didn't do enough to sort of tell people who didn't know much about the players what was going on and that sort of thing? I guess it's hard to say. Uh, you know, we you can are, say no. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what I'll say is we're, we're all we're all insiders. We already know about the game of cricket. We'd have to get someone who doesn't know anything about the game of cricket to really understand whether it's it was difficult to follow. I'd also say, I guess it's interesting to hear your perspective watching from television and seeing that it sort of, it, I guess, it dragged on a bit. I guess when you're working there, you know, things go by quickly and, and that kind of thing. I'd happens, imagine yeah. from what I saw of people who were there, they got more information than we got on TV is what I'm imagining because yeah. I felt on TV, I wasn't getting much information, especially visually, but even once, and I know that this was picked up and I didn't quite pick up on this bit so much. Can they not commentate on the draft itself rather than just be talking about, oh, the draft is happening over there? So what I was finding, even in that first, uh, I say first 15 minutes, there was a lot of interviews in the first 15 minutes. The first 15 minutes of the draft itself, right, round one's underway and they're starting to pick the players. You'd imagine there's going to be a graphic flashing up on the screen at that point that said, these are the big names, these are the prices, you know, images of the players. What we're really accustomed to now, especially with Sky Sports, with their football coverage, the way the um, the teams are displayed ahead of the match, you kind of figured it was going to be that, but there was nothing. It was just the, the, the sofa, really, um, with the guys and girls on the sofa discussing what was going on. But then they didn't know what was going on. They're kind of looking across and, oh, they're picking – and then eventually it kind of flashed to the big um, grid, didn't it? Which had so much going on on it. I was honestly sitting at the TV squinting like, right, who's where doing what? And, you know, then down the side there was the prices. So just that kind of visual impact. And that was from somebody who knows or pretends he knows cricket. Um, but again, bringing in an audience from outside, they'd have said, what on earth is going on here? I guess a good point there is that what, thinking about it now, what could have been done is we didn't actually see much cricket going on in the. You could have had clips of Rashid Khan bowling and that kind of thing. I I, I totally understand that. In terms of following it, 
I guess I have the I had the additional thing where, of course, we talked about this last week. We went to the mock drafts that was held, and yeah. and that obviously influences how I perceived it. And I thought it was quite easy to follow, especially having seen clips of IPL auctions, CPL drafts, where you really have no idea what's going on. You just have sort of things flash up on the screen. Um, here, I thought there was still a bit more of a process. And I guess the way we've talked about the hundred and the messes, you know, the, the mistakes that have been made, it was almost as if I, I sort of went in with the mindset that if they don't make any massive blunders, that's a massive success. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, reflecting on it, I thought that wasn't too bad. It was a professional operation. They had a bit of, you know, a few gimmicks and that kind of thing. And all in all, not too bad. I mean, I'll just throw in on the back of that because I'm sure you want to explore different aspects of it. I don't know much about drafts across the world. I haven't followed drafts before. Um, so was really waiting for my hand to be held through the process. Um, and when that didn't happen, because what actually happened on the on the television coverage, um, I think it was Ian Ward at the time, he, he said, right, the draft's taking place now. The, it's pick one. But then you were kind of looking around, right, what does that mean? Who's in pick one? Who's do, do these guys pick first? Then, then do these guys? But then all of a sudden, before you, while you were still asking all these questions, apparently some people were on to pick two. And it was like, well, hold on, I still don't know what's happened on pick one yet. So there was a lot that I thought, really, if they are going for this new audience, then they've re- you've that i mean it was really drummed home to me time and time again when i had the message uh, the conversations the message was we are going to hold people's hand the whole way through all of this that we are going to make cricket so easy for people to understand now again in the defense of the 100 for this apparently drafts because i did kind of put that out there on twitter i don't know much about drafts is this what it's usually like apparently it is it is pretty dull it is pretty slow but for that kind of first TV spectacle, the first look at it, I thought it really hit some really bum notes. Yeah, it's almost as if y- you wonder why they, I mean, they had to sort of, they had to stick their heads above the parapet at some point, I guess, but why they made such a big deal of it. Like they were really hammering it during the football beforehand. They were like saying that this is- That was this, amazing. This is yeah, that was, which that was is, great. I mean, but there was a big part of me that did wish. Could you not have done this for the counties? Could you not have done this for the blast? Yeah. Could that have not had that same kind of backing? Imagine- you know, Middlesex, Surrey had have got um, that kind of billing in the football in Manchester United against Liverpool, interrupted for the cricket. It was it was incredible. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I will echo that. Yeah, drafts have been to before, pretty dull, and there's no, there's only so much time you can inject into it. But I guess I, I, one thing I wonder because they obviously gave themselves quite a lot of time with these hundred seconds per pick, and that was maybe too much for the teams themselves. And that also then left quite a big gap at the end they were kind of trying to fill. And maybe they should have just given themselves kind of that much time for each pick anyway. So you do, even if teams pick the player in 15 seconds, you then have like another 75 seconds, 85 seconds just talking about the player, which is actually enough to get a decent amount of time on why they've picked Rashid Khan or Dane Villas or whoever, who I think we'll get onto maybe. Uh, and uh, and then and then go from there. But yeah, as I say, not, not a total disaster, but I guess maybe this was never going to be the thing that, one people over but I guess the yeah the big thing is what it would have done for people because it was plugged so much there probably would have been people who turned on to that for the first time and I guess I don't know what they'll have made of it I don't know what the viewing things are it'll be interesting to see you'd imagine not great because mm-hmm. you know that I think when a lot of people hear the viewing figures on Sky for the cricket they're blown away by how small it is now I you know I'm a BBC man but let's make this clear I love Sky I think Sky cricket is just brilliant sitting down if I'm not at the test match if I'm watching it at home I just don't think anything touches the test coverage from Sky or or the cricket coverage in general I think it is superb Uh, and they do a great job of it but I'd imagine there was there was an interesting point I found when Nasser Hussain uh, was talking with Wardy and he'd started to say you know people have to remember this is still cricket you know this is cricket it's just 20 balls left that was the point that kept on getting but he got cut down, down yeah. though he got cut down by Wardy he was like yeah but remember this is very new as well though and it, you know so there was a lot of messages going on and you can imagine this wasn't just a Sky production the ECB had a big big say in it and part of that would have been exactly what he said let's just get through this without too many um, major failings, too much that people can throw at us. I mean, look, they didn't have hashtags. That it wasn't this kind of digital revolution which the IPL did so well. Um, they didn't go for it this time, and that's probably probably because of the negativity that's been out there on social media. They didn't want to open it up, especially to the new new audience who might put on that hashtag. Then, and all of a sudden, see everything coming through. So, you know, it was amazing that they didn't do that. But I think the reason that they didn't was exactly that. You know, we all heard about the PR company that they brought in, who said, first things first, just stop 
saying anything, um, which is an incredible thing to say, isn't it? And But that was the mess that they'd got themselves into. Um, you know, I mean, I don't even know, we're going back 12, 18 months at, that, at this point. But um, yeah, that was probably a big part of it on Sunday. What it did mean, though, is that where you kind of switched on and felt all right, come on, sell it to me then. That just didn't happen. Um, and it did seem to be the complete opposite of what they told us the 100 was going to be all about. I guess one final thing maybe before we move on to the Twitter discussion more generally is it's in, it's in a way it's something new that Sky haven't quite had to do when they've done their kind of their test coverage that's been speaking to like the converted cricket fan. They've been able to be quite erudite and knowledgeable and going to the minutiae, which is great and has actually kind of changed how sport is covered in other areas but isn't going to be able to get some new fan in. And the T20 Blast, well, the coverage for that is great too it's almost more like cricketing banter i'd say like there is a certain entry point for it on sky but it's also like joking around between guys and you're joking with them because you kind of know who they are and why that's funny i guess mm. i mean rob key for example i think he's been a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. he just went straight in and he took everybody down from the start didn't he i thought he was really funny uh, this is in general in the coverage and even on sunday it was like oh great keys he's there and you know even he was chuckling away at, it at times seeing the funny side of it was quite irreverent with it and it needed that because you didn't want everybody because there was also kind of the message isn't this exciting aren't we excited it was like yeah you said that five times in the last 10 seconds you know stop saying it now um so Kesey was able to be the more human face of it, um, but I, I I wouldn't I you know genuinely wouldn't criticise Sky for it because I'd imagine there was probably a lot of conversations about how almost you just get through this stage um, and it's almost as though they've got to get through the launch stages now get to that first game get it on television and then at that point really try and sell it. At the end of the day, it's it's the cricket itself that has to win people over. I don't think as much as they would have liked the draft to you know grab the attention of new fans. You have to then just tr- trust the product in itself, which is which is the game. Yeah, and I guess for ambivalent cricket fans who've maybe drifted away and are thinking about coming back, the one thing with the drafts when you see the list of players in those teams, that that will th- th- those are the players that those guys who don't really follow it but know it a bit, like they'll have heard a lot of those names just a lot a lot of but it isn't the best for the best and that's another angle of it isn't it because we were told again this was another thing that was drummed home to us when we were asking those questions what is it why is it it's going to be the best for the best it's just going to be the best in world cricket eight it's not you know let's be honest there are some really really good names in there but there are some really big names Obviously, India's missing, but there are still some really big names missing AB's from that. AB's a big miss as well, isn't he? Huge, especially when you think of Middlesex and the impact that he had on Middlesex this year. I'm sure you guys are, you know, were all over it as well because Middlesex were really keen to pump it. The um, difference that AB de Villiers made to um, the interaction with Middlesex through social media was incredible, just incredible. He's not there. Gail's not there. I mean, even someone like Paul Sterling, again, going back to the Middlesex element, he had to make that decision to be an Irish player and give up his um, non-overseas status with Middlesex. It also meant then he became an overseas for the 100. He's missed out on the 100. He's one of the big players or has been one of the big players of the blast. But I guess if it's not the best v the best, it is like the biggest group or the most concentrated group of quality international players English cricket will have seen. I mean, even just by virtue of oh, three sure. You don't see sure. Steve Smith doesn't even play in the BBL. I mean, he's here. Mitchell Stark's Mitchell Stark's going to be here. I feel Gale. They had the option of bringing Gale, and they didn't get him. You know, um, I still think it's barring India, of course, the the co-leads and the Gale those. thing actually was quite a big blow to the BBC because if you noticed, um, Gale was the picture every time the hundred was talked about huh. by the BBC. Yeah. And he ended up not getting picked in the draft. So that was a bit of a blow for the BBC's coverage up to that point. But I think that it could be sort of a blessing in disguise, Gale not being involved. Oh, sure. I mean, but with, the- with people keen to jump at anything, a, a, a Chris Gale PR disaster would be the, <laughs> the final nail in the coffin, wouldn't it? Um, uh, yeah, I was thinking on the field, but that as well, because of course, like, he's fielding now. And, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess the personas... You need the personas, That's though. True. So my my gut instinct is, really, they should have found a way to make sure that somebody picked up Chris Gale, have him in there, have him as one of those faces, especially if Roots, um, we don't know what best those availability will be, Stokes, especially if these guys just aren't there. Uh, I mean, my son's nine years of age. He lasted 10 minutes of the draft um, and was really excited for the beginning of it. Um, and got up after 10 minutes, started to go towards the door. You know, I'm going to do something else, but I'll come back. What time do they start? And I was like, what do you mean? When are they playing? Next summer. <laughs> door slammed, and that was it. I didn't see him for the rest of the night. So, But again, I don't think the kids were particularly the target audience for this. I think it was probably something they just had to get through, yeah, which is yeah. an uncomfortable way of saying it, but uh, I think it probably is. So let's talk about 
Twitter then, because at some point the hundred are going to have to make a Twitter account, and <laughs> it's gonna, it's going to be sort of uh, the teams like, need Twitter accounts. I mean, yeah. it's the counties that are announcing sort of. Yeah, you know players, details yeah. about their players yeah. Yeah. yeah so they've got instagram haven't they yes i'm yeah. not on instagram but apparently they they all are on instagram already yeah they're just not on twitter yet they've got facebook as well each of the teams I, uh, at least the hundred do i think the teams do, do you know taha i'm not sure about the teams. i thought they did i yeah, thought they that, did yeah. that, that's that certainly rings a bell yeah but not nothing on twitter no it's um, just something they really want to put off I guess. yeah i think so <laughs> it is i mean it was put to me the other day that also Instagram's for a younger audience. Yes. And that's perhaps why at the moment, but I'd imagine more, it's a mixture of both that definitely they're being cautious about it. Well, at the draft itself, they had sort of, they'd brought in these influencers, I guess, to to not not just put stuff on the 100 account, more so on their own accounts and, and try and get the word out. Um, I didn't see too much stuff that they actually posted. Um, but that... It, Love it, Island it, Stars, wasn't it? Yeah, Love Island nice. Star, that kind of thing, yeah. Um, not Chris Hughes, he's the... The Love Island cricket fan, the one. No, they uh, got his mate in Kem, instead. Yeah, yeah. still well, you don't even get it. <laughs> not the best, be the best, is it? When it's Kevin, not Chris. Um, <laughs> uh, but but what I mean, what what are they, I mean? Because they they are going to have to make a Twitter account, right? What what are they going to do about it? And I think it's probably going to take maybe a bit of a light touch, which they just haven't shown so far. Like maybe almost a bit of acknowledgement that like it's been a bit silly because that's how you kind of succeed on Twitter, isn't it? With a bit of like canniness and a bit of like joking with people uh, I, don't, I don't i just don't know how they're going to play it and but this is such a this is serious right as we're speaking the they're in westminster you know <laughs> they're talking well, about this it's 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 serious it's hard to be that funny about it when over the last two years there's been such divisiveness such strong opinions it's, it's a very tough very tough ask of whoever's going to do that yeah. yeah i mean look that the the divisiveness and the strong opinions I mean, Isha Guha came out a couple of days ago, didn't she, or yesterday, and um, tweeted that she'd started to get a bit of abuse on Twitter about it, which is totally unacceptable. Um, I have said since day one, I mean, you know, look, a guy who I've commentated his whole Middlesex career is at the forefront of this, Owen Morgan. We're not falling out. We're still mates, I hope. <laughs> but, um, you know, we, I've, I've spoken to him all the way through the process about it um, and even up to recently. And I've said, look, I've got no problem with any player, any coach, any commentator, anybody who goes into it because that's the game that's laid in front of you. Now, Morgan did that piece a little while ago talking about culling the blasts. If he culls the blasts, I've got to go and try and find a commentary gig on the 100. But I've just felt all the way through the process, this divisiveness, they haven't wanted questions asked. They just haven't. And that's when, for all of us guys, it kind of kicks in. It's like, well... No, I'm going to ask questions. And especially when, I mean, maybe in my job in particular where you're on <laughs> all day, every day for six months and you've got county cricket fans messaging, emailing, um, tweeting and talking about their frustration that they just feel like they're being kept so out of the process, so out of the loop. That's kind of our job, isn't it, then to say, well, right, there's the small person who doesn't have a voice. We've got to try and have them help the voice. So. Because I thought one of the things that Isha did say was, um, you know, those who are against it need to stop being against it. I mean, that's a hard thing to say because I'm not going to knock Isha or anybody else for being completely pro it from that perspective of players, coaches or or commentators. But from the other side of the table, um, and I don't even want it to be the other side of the table. I'd like to say that I'm in the middle. But the thing is, I don't need to ask the questions about how great it is because they keep telling us. So the questions I feel that I have to ask, especially on behalf of the, the, the cricket fans, is the bits that they don't, they're not telling us. Or the bits that, I mean, we all hear it as well, the, the conversations in corridors. It's going to be the best for the best. Right, okay. Then we were told it's not going to be the best for the best. It's going to be for mums and kids. Then we were told it was something else. So the shape of the 100 has changed all the way through. And of course, the format from T20 to the 100. And that's where I've always throughout thought, I can't just sit here quietly when there's so much I can see that is wrong with the process. Uh, and I think that's what's really frustrated me and for sure has frustrated the cricket fans. Yeah, there's something as well. I mean, you're right. So Isha got that stick, it's worth saying, in response to like a long thing she posted, which is worth having a read. There's some interesting thoughts in there, uh, but a long thing that's kind of pro the 100 saying why she supports it. And with an acknowledgement there that she felt she was going to get some stick. So I think there is that side of the opposition, but there's also that side rising among the support like a certain kind of contempt for these people who I almost can't see the light the way they do and there's I think especially you get some I think I think as county fans feel maybe not unreasonably that you get some cricket journalists are just kind of keen to write about England international cricket and 
county cricket is like an inconvenience and they kind of sneer at these people who like that kind of like why would you like watching these things when there's no one there to watch it and it's like a you know Gloucestershire against Northants or something one on his dog and crawling to 200 in a day or something like why why would you be interested in that and they feel that like those kind of sentiments are kind of slowly rising to the surface again with this thing as the thing that's kind of causing the division yeah and I guess it's it is tough when the East B have been there's been so little they've kind of put forward openly even even from that very first release I, I think I actually was one of the most or the more open when I first heard of these because the hundred ball thing just instantly actually appealed to me like I could see how it would work on a scoreboard and like I don't know you've probably commentated the oval where the scoreboard for T20s the electronic scoreboard is absolutely awful yeah <laughs> it's like sometimes it will have about 20 different numbers and none of them are the runs remaining yeah. it's uh it's which 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 is which is Madison. Funnily enough, uh, Lords they started to do the countdown in the T20 this year, mm. which was really interesting. That, that that graphic started to go up. Um, but but that initial release, while I kind of got it, they also they were using words then about like innovative and uh, exciting and stuff, and not acknowledging there was going to be any sort of reaction and confusion to this. And they uh, haven't at any point tried to even head head that off when they released that if memory serves, because it has been such a long process to now. Um, we didn't know how it was going to be, whether it was going to be five ball overs. Absolutely, or, yeah, that was so quite that, a recent again, development. That, that yeah. was what re- That's what's opened them up to so much criticism, because, again, going back, I mean, we're talking about the draft, I know, primarily, but just going back to the beginning of it all, the first, when it was a T20, when it launched... The reason that people were resistant was because of what it would do to everything that already exists, i.e. the blasts, which the last two years, the sales have been incredible, the growth of uh, those sales. Um, What it will do to the championship, which is already squeezed into parts of the championship. Now, the 50 over was always going to be the one that lost out heavily in the short term. But in the long term, what damage will there be to the blast? That's the huge concern. And then to have a product that is undoubtedly going to affect these other three formats in a huge way in particular the list a, as we know now down at Sussex most especially I mean how do you feel if you're a Sussex member um, going to watch Sussex next year or thinking about signing up for that membership that's been a big thing on Twitter uh, in the last couple of days hasn't it but is that t- is 10 Sussex players is that right 11 I think 11 if you include 11 if you include Archer and, and Jordan I think so right. 9 got picked up and if you include Reese Topley 13, uh, 12 <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> in terms well, of I mean, what they had last year yeah yeah, yeah exactly um, yeah, right. but um, yeah I mean that's that's so awkward that's so horribly awkward I mean there's other counties that have lost none Middlesex have lost 5 um, but um you know, just going back to that, those frustrations and about, you know, when the 100 ball came out, and we didn't know what it meant, what the 100 ball was. I think that's what upset so many people was there is going to be a huge effect on the other three formats um, by something that we didn't then really know what it was. And as they went along, it was making it up. As Let's be honest, it was. They were making it up as they go along. And to this point here, as we're talking about the draft, to some extent, they still are. You know, they're tiptoeing their way through it at this stage because they don't really know what they've got. Um, now, the big, big answer that always comes back to me when somebody will say, right, OK, take all that, fine. It's not been great. They've made a mess of it. But cricket needs this money. The other big question, I think, is why does cricket need this money? Because it got the broadcasting deal in 2005. What happened in 2005? All of a sudden, player wages went through the roof, which is why we find ourselves in this position now. Um, And the ECB had a move around 2008, 2009 to divide the money up the way that it was given to the counties. It wasn't just a lump sum, which all of a sudden was going straight into um, the pockets of the players. So the ECB then said, right, here's a pot that has to go towards the development of the game other areas it can go to pretty much anything you want other than player wages because the wages were getting so out of control at that point um now unfortunately the county's found a way around it you know it was still going to players wages so that's been a major major problem when people talk about uh county cricket's not sustainable yeah but that's because the last big broadcast deal 2005 it got out of control so now we're having to invent something which is going to be even more money for players' wages to fix a problem that came, for me, from what I saw of it from 2005 through to now, was due to players' wages. I mean, there was a, there is a lot more to that, of course, like ground development and the amount of grounds that had to develop for international cricket. But fundamentally, players' wages went through the roof from 2005. Yeah, I guess a couple of other things 
in for the format. So part part of the reason it's hundred ball is because of the blast, right? That they want the 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 blast can now still market itself as the uh, the Premier T Twenty competition in the country, which is a valuable thing. But also the length of it to fit on free to air TV, and I think I think as well as it being like a just like a bit of a, a cash grab and a, a way to make some money, this competition. Uh, there is also that like noble thing they want to get cricket back on free trade and may, may be recognising some of the wrongs from before. And looking at some of these, I know people have said these numbers aren't out there that they've based these things on, but there are some numbers out there about the amount of kids, say, who... So I think it was 3% would name cricket as their top sport and uh, something like 3 in 10 wouldn't name it in their top 10 or something. Like There were some quite, some quite stark numbers, which I think prodded this in the first place, the need to have, I guess they call it a, a big bash style competition i guess the other thing with the with the big bash as well as it was it was rolled out really quickly uh and that was partly so matt dwyer who was there at the time who then became the ecb's director of growth and participation he uh they saw the similar research and were like well we were going to do this thing in two years time but actually it's so urgent we've got to do it now and i wonder if that's been the cause of all the kind of haphazard nature of the hundred is that they had a similar realization well like we've got to do something and just started doing things without properly thinking them through and maybe that was partly out of necessity, but also has led to the situation now where it's created so much bad blood because they didn't think about how people would respond because they were just acting without thinking out of urgency. It's uh, it, in a way you can see how they've got to the situation, but I don't see how they're gonna how they're gonna get out of it, how they're gonna win back a lot of these county fans. I don't know how they're gonna do it. What intrigues me, and this is probably shifting to another point, is the the difference in the crowds that go to the blast. How different? How different will they be in the hundred? Aren't we sort of going to see the same same people come through the gates the big danger i think about the crowds is um that we end up with two glass half full competitions that is the worst case scenario for everybody we either need the hundreds to be a huge success i hope it is i really do it needs to be a huge success or it needs to be a complete failure um now if it's a complete failure there is you know the money that's been invested and the cost of it at this stage, it can't be a failure is what they tell us. They're going to have to make it work. And that, again, going all the way back through all the announcements, now it's 100, it's not a T20, well, what's 100? Why are you doing it? We're doing it best for the best. Why are you doing it? We're doing it for mums and kids. All the way through, they have said, we will make it work. Um, great if they do. But we all know there is a big if with all of this. You know, If it doesn't work, what happens? And my biggest concern um, is if it is 50% capacity, which is what they're saying, and then all of a sudden the blast as a result is 50% capacity. I mean, if Lords is 14,000 for the Surrey-Middlesex game, it won't be. I'm sure it will be. They'll schedule it as close as they can to the peak time of the summer because you know timing is key for it isn't they've done this before where they put the blast on a friday night and i've done a match down at bristol where there was no floodlights 5 30 start there was less than 300 people in the ground probably even less than 200 it was pitch black by the time the first ball was bowled so they've made horrible horrible mistakes with the blast which has really affected crowd figures and i know middlesex at lords are really keen for those thursday nights to be in july that's the big selling time now of course the hundred's going to be in august the blast's going to be primarily in June, back end of May, a little bit of July. So the peak selling time for the shortest form competition in this country, July, is not going to see much short form cricket. And one one competition has to go, right? You agree? I, yeah. I mean, well, Morgan himself said this, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, he said, what, one, you know, the blast may need to be cold. I mean, you'd think it'd be strange not to have a 50 over competition, but that is the weakest one wouldn't you say yeah but we're world champions at it now aren't we so <laughs> this is this is the problem now isn't it um it, it, it remains a mess that is the problem yeah. it remains a mess and for everything everybody's saying about the money and it'll save the 18 counties because of course the other flip side of that is is part of this a move to the elite that the next thing will be an elite eight first class teams um and an elite eight 50 over team Th- there's so many areas that remain to for all of us to shed light on still why are we really doing this because the reasons have changed all the way through um and is the ultimate end goal the elite so it's not only cutting a competition it is cutting the counties yeah i i really get that fear i guess the, yeah i mean the one thing is it's like there, there would be counties. i know for whatever reason they're in the financial state they're in there are counties that without this payout would be in danger in in not too long a period of time. I, w- I wanted to go back to the uh, 
the thing you're saying about the crowds because I don't think you're talking about the numbers as much as the demographics were you I'm talking quite quite a bit about the demographic I yeah because I mean we see it when we're here for Friday nights at, or well for, for nights at the uh, at the Oval and you'll get a lot a lot of fans who they don't know much about cricket which I guess is the fans the hundreds trying to uh, attract but they also don't really care much about the cricket they're here just just for a, a drink and a good time you I've ha- heard some walking past when they're coming through the gates like thinking they're t- turning up for an England game and they're not they're turning up to, yeah. to watch sorry um and that's that's fine that serves a purpose sorry make loads of money out of it but if this competition is to attract the families then they need to find a way to not attract those people really who are coming here for a, well there, for there a was thought that there'd be alcohol free grounds wasn't there mm. um and I'm sure there'll be the family stands um, uh, the, the, oh, there's so much there really is I mean look it's going to be on at 7 o'clock at night uh, I've got kids who are 9 and 5 at 7 o'clock at night I want the kids winding down and going to bed even in the summer holidays because that's my time yeah. it's like right okay you've had your dinner you've had your fun I need a couple of hours of streaming some TV you know um, I'm not on the BBC I can say Netflix can't yeah. I <laughs> um, but you know, yeah so you know that's an awkward part of it as well is having the the time of the evening, the weather's going to play. So if the free-to-air match is washed out, yeah, it's, you know, all of this is to get it on free-to-air and the free-to-air match is washed out, the one game per week. Um, now, obviously, the other thing is that digital drive, which we didn't see for the draft. That is something that they're really going to have to work on. And, you know, people have spoken to me about that a lot, that that's how the IPL succeeded and that's how the 100 is going to have to succeed. They're going to have to get the 100 into the minds of kids uh, let's not get onto the crisp packets yet, but they're going to have to get the 100 into the minds of kids um, through television, kids' television, um, through tablet devices, phones, through apps. They're just going to have to pummel the kids to try and make them aware of it as best they can. Um, it's going to be a tough sell. I do think it's going to be a tough sell. And especially looking at how awkward the draft was, they've got a lot to think of in terms of... Because, I mean, the response of the players as well, did you pick up on that? The Wait, players the, the that players were who weren't picked up? No, the- sorry, the response of the players who were there in the studio, they didn't really look like they knew what they were on board with. Mm. And they didn't look they didn't look like they wanted to be too over keen and too you know, the presenters kept telling them, Isn't it exciting? you know, and the coaches, isn't it exciting? I think it was probably easier for the coaches, but it it looked to me as though the players felt pretty uncomfortable, particularly Jason Roy. Um, Josh Butler had a bit of a face when Dame Villas got picked, didn't he? Yeah, and he was yeah. like, hang on, I'm, I'm the Lancashire keeper. What's going on here? <laughs> so, um. Yeah, I mean, it, it is awkward. And again, that throws open so many questions as well, doesn't well, it? Well, I imagine it was, a, it was a strange evening for them because obviously when, when the draft's happening as well, they were milling around, talking to press. Um, and obviously they've got to pedal the line, you know. They can't say anything out of order. Um, but, what, but I guess why not in a way? Like obviously not when people there are absolutely slagging it off, but people there saying kind of, we're not sure how it's going to go. And like, like if it just feels a bit more honest, I think people would have been more inclined to buy into the whole process in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm going to go the other way now. I think the honesty period's probably over. They well, have got to sell this. Yeah, they okay. have got to sell this hard. <laughs> yeah, at this and point, that's what sure, the draft yeah. didn't do. But I do take the point that possibly they just needed to get through the draft because now, I mean, the presenters kept on telling us how it's exciting. That is what they're going to have to do. They've got to get on kids' TV and tell them how exciting it is because my son saw the opening 10 minutes and he believed it. This is really exciting. It was like, there's three hours of this. Do they play any cricket tonight? No, he was gone. <laughs> I don't think they were that on edge. I mean, there was a, there's a little shot of Joffre Archer just lying on a couch behind uh, Bapara and Moeen Ali. Not so much on edge, but you know, in terms of selling the product. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, I know you're not going to get players who are going to do the PR for the companies, but they've got to make sure that their message is right. And I did think that the players looked a little uncomfortable. And kids will pick up on that. If you're putting that on kids' TV, they will pick up on that. The Yeah, you're not quite buying this, so why should I? Yeah. There was a great moment, speaking of Joffre Archer, where he was uh, him, and I can't remember who the cricketer was on Joe Root's left, but sitting on a sofa... Uh, Joffrey and the other guy both with their legs spread wide open <laughs> and Joe Root doing proper like man sitting on a tube like kind of huddled up I think it was him, him and Russell that was and it, it might yeah. be Joss Butler in, in between sort of oh, it was Joss yeah, Butler yeah, okay Josh yeah. Butler, uh, yeah. yeah so good uh, so we, we've mentioned Dane Villas a few times which might be curious we probably haven't mentioned him on the podcast before but he's uh, <laughs> so he, he's he's Lancashire's T20 captain former South Africa wicketkeeper here on a coal pack deal uh, who was signed in the very first round of the draft, so getting 125k for the uh, for the whole time ahead of a lot of star names. It was it was was he the first domestic player picked? Aha, right no, to say that? Liam Livingston was Liam the first, was the first picked, yeah. picked. But yeah, I think that that came as a surprise to Joss Butler. Came as a surprise to 
everyone. I guess there's a few things to pick up on. We should we should discuss a bit about. I mean, so we do have responsibility to cover this as as cricket as well as talk <laughs> about the implications and all that. So we should talk about the makeup of the squads, who we think will go well, that sort of thing. But also, him being a cold pack. There's a few others who got picked up as well. And I mean, the, the, talking about the actual on-field cricket. Funnily enough, I think the. I mean, it's hard to say for Sussex, but one of the biggest winners is the 50-over competition because of the amount of cold packs that got picked up. All of a sudden, the cold packs are playing in the 100, not all of them, but there's a significant number that were picked up, and that was really heavily criticised, wasn't it? So the Royal London One Day Cup next year is going to see a lot of the cold packs taken out, and the criticism of cold packs in county cricket is you're blocking off young local talent you're going to see that young local the, the county members are actually going to get to see and again that doesn't work for um, Sussex it doesn't particularly work for Somerset as well who are hard hit and they're two of the non-test venues who sell out well say sell out who sell really well for 50 over cricket as well and also so have less deep squads as well right so absolutely yeah, yeah. absolutely I mean there's no doubt about it Sussex are going to have to somehow recruit in but what does that mean um, probably loans I'd guess um, I mean, from a Middlesex perspective, Stephen Finn, Toby Rowland Jones, James Harris, players that perhaps might have thought, oh, maybe I'll get something in the 100. Um, Middlesex have a very strong bowling lineup, so young Ethan Bamba potentially could go down to Sussex for that four weeks. But that's what Sussex going to, I mean, and that's not going to really appease the Sussex fans that they're going to see a group of low knees because it's almost going to be like, um, what were they called? The team of nomads, the ones who didn't have contracts, who all played together. Was it the Unicorns? Yeah, it was the unicorns. I think I, I thought I was mixing up Brexit there with unicorns thrown in. So, um, yeah, the unicorns. So, you know, that's what Sussex are probably going to have to put up with next year, their members, um, with that mixture of youngsters. But where the coal packs have gone up, the cricket on the field for the for the 50 over competition, actually, you probably will see quite a few young players because that was the other thing that was said that they're not going to fill the 50 overs with coal packs next year. Next year more than they already have. Well, actually, a lot of the coal packs have been taken out. And they've they, someone said it would. Was it was it Gordon Hollins? I think he said he's now left as the MD of county cricket. Uh, that it would be a development competition, which in a way the fifty over competition kind of already was. Like it was the least high quality of the Absolutely. three. Um, so in, in in a way that actually it, it will be less high quality than it was before, but that hasn't changed. I'm pretty much. at ease with next year's schedule, to mm. be honest. Um, I mean, I've got a bit of stick on Twitter for saying that, but I think it's about the best of what we could have hoped for for next year. Um, with that month um, dedicated to the 100, and at the same time you play the 50 over, so fine. We play the 50 over during the day, and then at night we all go and watch the 100 and see what it's about. Um what it does mean is there is a near two-month window without a championship game at that time. Um, if you're not involved in the round, because there'll be rounds where you're not playing. So if you're not involved in the round before the 100 or involved in the round after the 100, it's nearly two months, I think, without a championship game for you then. I'm also right in saying there's quite a big gap between uh, T20 Blast quarterfinals and finals day, yeah. like a silly amount where you, you yeah. might just forget who's in the final. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, the quarterfinals are close enough, I think, to the group stages that um, you can get your overseas in for that period because that was the other big fear, wasn't it? Um, I mean, as I understand, the ECB's first offer, I mean, on that um, downgraded, the developmental thing, um, that was unfortunate. It was badly worded, but there was an element of truth to it in the there was a proposal that list day status was going to be taken away from the 50 over next year to clear. Yeah. And that was pushed back by the counties to clear the way for this premier competition because they did not want a, com a competition. I you've got list day during the day and T20 at night. Well, let's take the list day away from the day. So this is the competition that we want focusing on. Well, that was I mean, look, the, the whole problem with all of this is it only took one person to say that. And all of a sudden it was. You yeah. know, it flew around like wildfire. Um, and so how Holland serious is on the that side was. of the county as well, isn't he, really? He's Absolutely. I mean, that could have been a proposal at a meeting by one person, but yeah. that's been the problem with making it up as you go along. And I said this at the beginning, because they don't know what they've got, there's going to be so many proposals that come out and then we're going to hear about them and our heads will hit the desk and just say, what are you doing, you know? Because there was the list A thing, then there was, then they won't be allowed any overseas players mm. for the 50 over. We'll try telling that to Sussex now. <laughs> they, need, they need 11 overseas. Um, so... You know, there's been so many things like that where the downgraded element um, has been an issue. But developmental, for sure, is something that can be positive in that time. Um, 
and that how we got onto it, the cold packs and the cricketing side of it, the cold packs playing in the hundred is a little bit awkward because that's again I don't think quite what the hundred wanted was it or what the ECB wanted. Well, yeah, and I wonder. I guess you probably know this better than we will, being so closely uh, involved in the in the account system. Have you noticed any change in the sort of attitude of some players towards the hundred? They might have been really excited before because they're like going to be on this thing that's on TV, maybe get an IPL gig further down the line and get a lot of money. Whereas now the likes of Josh Cobb, say, who haven't been picked up in the 100, are they now, like, is, is there going to be a slight change of... Because it's not... For, for the majority of domestic cricketers, this isn't going to really help them, I guess. I guess they will be very careful because they'll want a contract next year. Yeah, that's true. So yeah. I doubt money will be too critical. But I just mentioned the names at Middlesex. You know, Finn, Roland Jones and Harris. We picked Finn, didn't we, in our mock draft? I yeah, think. we did, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a huge blow for Finney because it's a payday, isn't it? And again, I, yeah. I just won't knock the players. And I doubt the players at this stage will knock the competition. I mean, when you think that the PCA was very anti the whole thing from the beginning, they'd voice their concerns through Daryl Mitchell, wouldn't they, time and again. Um, but no, the players undoubtedly going into the draft are very happy, very excited, even though it didn't come across on the show. And you can't blame them, and I don't blame them because of the money that's involved. I mean, there's almost life-changing figures there for some of the players. Um, certainly season-changing compared to what they earn across county cricket, even with that inflation that we talked about. Because um, there is a disparity. Some guys in county cricket are earning an awful lot more than some others. Um, you know, county by county, Again, test venue grounds. Um, and yeah, so th- I think the players will remain excited. I think they'll re- remain positive. Um, possibly if a few really feel like they're not going to get a 100 gig, then maybe they'll start talking out a little bit about it. Um, but I mean, the other big issue is, <laughs> just thinking of the way best to phrase this <laughs> legally, Um what contracts are done by the counties that relate to the contracts yeah. of the hundreds, uh, the hundred teams. And that's something, I mean, the players are very aware of it. I mean, I've had conversations with players and they said that is going to be massive for cricket in the coming years. The, if you sign for this one, then we'll make sure you, if you sign for this county, our county, we'll make sure you're in that hundred draft for us. And that's going to be huge. And that was said to me long before the draft. Um, the, the the PCA are well aware of that as well. The, that is something that they don't feel particularly comfortable with. But I don't know, what level of legality are we talking there? I suppose there isn't pretty much that wrong isn't that much wrong with it is it just business that you say look if you sign that deal then we'll make sure you get that one i think there are conflict of interest things and and this has come in the in the bbl they call it bundling there where they they have salary caps there so they will pay a player less in their bbl contract because they're paying them a lot more in their sheffield shield contract even though they're not playing the sheffield shield at all uh so what what has been done to manage the conflict of interest because because the pca made it very clear and the ecb said and so none of the coaches are directly involved with a county is that right no i mean <sighs> which is kind of why they'll have to be overseas coach as well i guess unfortunately yeah yeah, yeah um, but you still have people involved in the coaching staff you know that are linked to counties yeah right so it's just the head coaches that aren't but you get a lot of others that are is that yeah exactly mm. so glenn chapel is with manchester originals yeah mm, okay um yeah you know yeah. Timmy Mascarenas, who's the Middlesex bowling coach for the T20, was certainly to Shane Warren, wasn't he? Yeah. So, um, and you know, Morgan, of course, was the captain, and he was a hands-on captain. Whereas you could see that some captains and indeed coaches yeah. hadn't put in that much thought. I think he's the only confirmed captain across right, the okay, eight sorry. teams as well. Um, but you could see Morgan was really hands-on yeah. through the process. You know, he actually got up from the sofa at one point when he was WhatsApping um, Warren and they turned to him and said, are you WhatsApping Warren? And he's like, yeah. And he's, they said, well, do you just want to go over there and talk to him? And he's like, can I? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> off he went and had a chat with Shane Warren about who he was picking next. So, you know, you could see he was really hands-on, but then others yeah. you could see were really playing catch-up that weren't so hands-on. So... Mm. Again, this is when you bring in something new like this, there's going to be um, areas of confusion. And there will have been coaches who sat there and thought a little bit, right, what are we doing? Because you could just see the level that um, Owen Morgan was at in terms of he knew exactly what he wanted, exactly what he was doing and, you know, really drove towards that. Yeah. So let's talk about the teams themselves and how they're stacking up. I think, Taha, you're going to be our our expert on this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Who who do you think's done well? Who do you think's uh, struggled a bit? Well, um, I think Trent Rockets look all right. I think just because they have Stephen Fleming as a coach, and um, you could see that their plan for the for the whole thing was to to have guys who've played with each other, so they've got quite a few knots players. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he made quite a good point in that 
you know, we're not going to have much time to get these guys familiar with each other before we start this competition. Uh, so you kind of give yourself a um, uh, a leg up by by just having those guys who played with each other, each other at county level, you know, turn out together for the, the same hundred team. Um, in terms of star power, Southern Brave. Yeah, that's great. Know, that, yeah. What, Russell Archer. Russell Archer, who's there? Other Warner, I right? think. Yeah, I think Warner. Warner yeah. 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 Um. So that's pretty special. I think David Warner will have a good competition. Manchester Originals got a bit of an odd team as well as Villas. They didn't pick an overseas for ages, right? Yeah. So they ended well, they up to here first up. They picked to here first up, but then then they went for um, Villas, um, Tom Abel, um, Phil Saul, and then they had already picked up Mahmood um, and Parkinson. So then. Next overseas came in quite late, I think. So Dan Christian, Dan yeah. Christian. Yeah. Um, and, and then with, with having their yeah. two icon players as low down in the thing, they could have really gone for some high up. Exactly, like, yeah. Could have really, and those two like, icon players are good young talents. Yeah, because um, they didn't make the most of that early, early yeah. rounds that they had. Yeah, so I yeah. thought that was a bit strange. And they've got, I mean, Dan Christian, Mitchell Santner, Imran are fine cricketers, but you know they don't. Not Andre Austin, don't yeah. want it. I guess you know back to the point when we're talking about best of the best. Yeah, you know they're not there. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, they looked that looked a bit strange, but all in all, I feel like you couldn't go that wrong in the draft. Um, you had you have to pick top players, um, and and you can afford to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'd say I mean originals was the one that stood out just because it looked like they got it wrong. Yeah, but basically, which, ga- yeah, Josh Butler's face kind yeah, of said it all as well. Yeah. It now, aren't they? Yeah, it's a, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, cool. All right, so. Let's what Kevin, while we've while we've got you here, let's talk about Middlesex. They got got what relegation two thousand seventeen. They just just ha- haven't really looked like going going back up. What and uh, David Milan now club captain has left clubs. Hasn't been confirmed where he's going, but people have suggested Yorkshire. Yeah, I mean uh, the BBC reported from Leeds um, uh, that Milan is close to I think was the wording um, okay. signing for Yorkshire uh, he's got two years to run his contract at Middlesex but um, whether because he stepped down as captain so whether oh, it's not confirmed he's leaving I thought that was the case I don't think it's confirmed yet oh okay fine um, so that he may, he's got two years to run on the contract there is every chance Milan will still be at Middlesex next year okay. um, but equally if I mean look you know we can look from the outside but unless you're actually sat in a room with two guys and see the argument from both sides of the table clearly there's something going on isn't there because he's got two years to run his contract and he's being linked to Yorkshire Hampshire and Somerset I think I mean also Surrey uh, but then Surrey always are aren't they Uh, through no fault of their own because you can imagine if there's an agent involved then he'll say oh yeah we're talking to Surrey as well um, and get that little bit of an extra fee Um, but um, yeah the captaincy he's relinquished the captaincy at Middlesex we know that Um, so whether that means stepping back into the ranks after it, let's be honest, it's been a tough couple of years. Middlesex haven't played well the last couple of years. They changed coach halfway through last season as a result. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, you know, a, a tough period like that this year again, new coaching didn't have that kind of bounce straight away, but you saw it grow throughout the season. The first couple of games were really slow this year for Middlesex and you thought, wow, um, you know, the overhaul might need to be a bit more than just the coach. Um, but slowly they got their act together too late in the season and then they had a, ba- a very bad run towards the end. Um, they were better in white ball cricket. Oh, absolutely. Like and they, I, they, think, they, 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 I remember Barack Obama just become president the last time they made the yeah. uh, the knockouts of the one-day competition before <laughs> yeah. this year. Yeah, and they made both, uh, the T20 and, and, the, and the 50 over. And that came early in the season. And that probably helped, actually, because they played the first two rounds of the championship. Then they played four or five weeks of um, the one-day cup, which is, again, what it will be next year at the same time, that four or five-week block. Um, Stuart Law, I think, was able to really make changes quickly in white ball cricket. And I asked a few other you know cricket coaches about this and said, is it more... Is it easier? Um, I don't want to say easier, but is it possible to make more changes um, as quickly as you can in white ball cricket than in red ball? And they said for sure, because in first class cricket, it's the top three inches. Now, changing that takes time. Um, And Middlesex, undoubtedly, their frailty has been with the bat um, for a number of years. Um, And even in winning the championship, you know, the bowlers were phenomenal. Um, Nick Gubbins won player of the year that year, but the bowlers 
the firepower of their bowling attack was key. Um, so the top three inches, Stuart Law's got a bit of work to do there. Um, I think what doesn't help hasn't helped them um, is when they won the title, they had Voges for the first half of the year. Prior to Voges, they had Chris Rogers as captain for three years and just having that really old head to guide them through helped. They didn't have that figure. There was even James Franklin. There was Nick Compton the one the year that they won it as well. Those guys moved on. They weren't replaced because there's some good youngsters coming through, Max Holden in particular. They didn't want to block him off. Paul Sterling, I mean, we know now that Ireland got the test status since then and he's had to go, um, but he was one of the names as well. But then those guys who were the youngsters under... Vogis, Franklin and Compton and to a lesser extent Rogers. they didn't get as much as Rogers, uh, Rogers those guys with Nick Gubbins and Stephen Eskenazi those were the two that Middlesex looked to last year really to make that step up but they're still only 25, 26 yeah. you know it's young in cricketing terms and they were looking at them to be it wasn't so much they were looking at they were hoping that they would be that kind of older head for them because they wanted to bring through the youngsters as well, which included George Scott this year, who's now moved on to Gloucestershire. Um, Tom Lace was at Derbyshire, had a great year, so you'd imagine he's going to be straight into that first 11 for Middlesex. Max Holden. So they've had a tough time of it. Um, and, you know, Darwin Milan at the same time is trying to hold down an England career. So I was, I actually thought when he got that injury in Ireland earlier this year, would it have been a good time for him then to actually say, do you know what, when I come back, I want to be all guns blazing to get the runs that I need to try and get in the Ashes squad. What what's really odd for me with Milan is that he has he has got those runs. He's had a brilliant year with the bat. But actually, I interviewed Stuart Law I think at the end of August and kind of I gave him quite a softball question really about Milan, saying um, like, oh, it's, it's, isn't it great when a captain can kind of step up like that? As he is, he kind of he's really seems like he's really grown in the role kind of thing. And he's like, oh yeah, I mean, but your batting's basically separate. And actually, as captain, he's got a long way to go kind of thing. And there's a there's you know that's not something you learn overnight. And was much more ambivalent than I almost like gave him the chance to be could he could have really just given a very like yeah he's he's been great he's an excellent batsman kind of thing so there's obviously something up there I wonder if we're gonna hear if if Milan does leave it because he's it's not shy of making his opinions known I think and we we could well well hear something on that Uh, yeah I mean look David's always been really honest Mm. in his time at Middlesex I if they were playing at an outground and the pitch wasn't good enough, he's gone hard on the pitch. He's gone hard on the Lord's Square the last couple of years. So he's a really honest guy. Um, he is straight talking, and that's why I wonder. Uh, I don't know, but that's why I wonder. This he's got two years to run on his contract, but these, there's these links of him going. Is that because having been captain, it is just too hard to step back into the ranks? Um, and maybe for him, a fresh start is the best way. I mean, the captain seen now may well pass to overseas because um, surely that, that, I mean, they didn't bring in an overseas this year, surely after the batting woes of the last couple of years. And definitely, definitely if Darwin Milan leaves, Middlesex are going to have to bring in an overseas. Um, and you'd imagine that would be quite a senior player. So whether they take on the captaincy and work directly with Stuart Law, the new coach, um, possibly. I mean, look, it's been a really, really tough couple of years and Middlesex, have massively underachieved. It's not because the players weren't right. Let's be honest. You know, you've got players that have been test players, Lions players, very nearly Lions players, very nearly test players, and everybody's underachieved massively. So that is going to mean that people are pretty glum, people are pretty down. Obviously, people will point fingers as to what's happening, why it's happening, whose fault it is. Middlesex have got to shake that out and get on with it quickly. Um, And I'd imagine that may well be why, if or if David Milan leaves, why he leaves. I right, fresh start, let's not get into the last couple of years weren't great for Middlesex because it's not David Milan's fault that the last couple of years weren't great. Um, You know, that had been building up a couple of years and then they had the change of coach, but it just looks now as though um, Middlesex needs a bit more of a freshen up than changing coach. That's obviously been a change of captaincy. Does that mean the captain's, captain thinks, all right, let's just part, go our separate ways here, even with two years to run on his contract? Because you'd imagine that there'd be a lot of people to take Darwin Milan and Middlesex would probably say, okay, fine, if that if that's... I'm, I, now, I don't know that it is Milan that's driving it. I don't yeah. know whether it's Middlesex, but clearly something's going on, isn't it? Yeah, and I guess it's going to be a huge year for him, kind of whatever happens, because while he could yet come again, kind of an all three formats international cricket it's t20 cricket where he's nearest the top of the queue and there's a t20 world cup at the end of the year so he's yeah. going to have to yeah he's have to have a good hundred campaign as well as a blast, I, know, I know we've slightly moved away from the hundred trap but how he only went 40k wasn't that <laughs> a great signing <laughs> i mean yeah. that's a- so he put himself into the 40k bracket then 
Uh, no, I think he put no. He didn't have a reserve price. Oh, I see. Right. Um, yeah. So, it, it, you know, I, I think the, the idea that he'd be was the minimum you could be picked for, rather than the maximum. So, right. Um, yeah. So why he sort of didn't get picked up in the hundred k? I mean, his T twenty record is is excellent. He had a really good blast season. So yeah, he's one of those guys. That labels just kind of attach themselves to players, and just recently people say, "Oh, he's a bit of a slow starter in T twenty cricket." And you wonder yeah. if that just like got into the wrong, <laughs> the wrong minds. People yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I mean, he says probably. his best format's fifty over. Mm. He says that's where he thinks he's at his best. That's interesting. That's the format he's least played in for for, for England. England. Yeah. That's, that's what he always but said. I'm playing T twenty yeah. and I'm playing Test cricket for England, but my best format is List A. Um, and that probably is because he is a stroke player. You know, he, when he's in full flow, he is great to watch. Um, he really is. And, you know, always gets a set of left-handers, you know, the Gowrest drive, but cover drive. But he's got it, you know, just that effortless stroke through the covers. Um, so dismissive. Um, so that probably is why, you know, that tag of not being the fastest starter in T20 is there because he'll want to see the pace of the ball before he plays that. You know, he doesn't just go for that pickup shot, which obviously a lot do now early in the innings, in particular in the power play. Uh, you know, you think of Paul Sterling, who bats at the other end to him. Um, so in terms of being a slow starter, that's probably why, because of his style of game. And for sure, 50 over is his best format. But yeah, that, again, if he went and did go to another county and had a great year scoring runs, then he's going to make it very difficult for England to ignore him. Mm. Cool. Well, let's talk a bit about what's been going on around the world in cricket recently. Uh, Safraz Ahmed was sacked from the Pakistan captaincy. Azrali's been appointed Test captain and Babra Zam T20I captain. Uh, form decision may be fair enough. They were number one in the world three years ago and now they're number seven. They lost a few times in the UAE where previously they didn't lose for a, almost a decade and the average is a lot less captain too. But the last decision is a bit of an odd one, I think. Uh, they won 11 series in a row, stretching back to the last World T20, and they got beaten by South Africa earlier this year, one-off game against England, and against an admittedly weakened Sri Lankan side, and now he's out of a job. Uh, what do you make of it, Taha? Yeah, you're right uh, about the T21. That's a strange one. They've been a really uh, excellent side for, for quite a few years, and now they've just had a pretty shocking series against Sri Lanka. Um, and this, this is the nature of being a Pakistan captain. That, that, <laughs> that kind of thing can happen. You have one bad series and you're the worst captain ever. Um, it's weird that they haven't, they've not announced that he's not going to be 50 over captain, right? Is that is No, that but he ha- he'd only been being appointed on a series by series basis. Yeah, so course, I think it's yeah. pretty much how it is. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, are we going to see another statement where so, well, Safraz is no longer the 50 over <laughs> yeah, captain? I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I guess, um, yeah, the test one I, I can understand. I think Azarali's probably a, a pretty good appointment. Yeah, well, he hasn't been in the best form either, it should be said, but not a lot of our options there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they've not played test cricket for a while, to be yeah. fair, as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, what what's interested me more in 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 the sphere of Pakistani cricket uh, recently is uh, the squad announcement for the Australia tour, mm-hmm. where they've got three teenage seamers Brilliant. for a test tour of Australia. <laughs> There's a 16 year old in there. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, Nasim Shah, uh, Musa Khan is the other one. Shahina Freedy is obviously quite an established yep. uh, a bowler, but is still only 19 years of age. Um, that is. No, no other country does things like that, really. I mean, in England, we have these pathways where, you know, you play under 19 level or when you're, you know, 18, that kind of thing. Yeah. And then you go do World County Circuit, you go England Lions, tours, academies, that kind of thing. And then eventually, all right, now he's ready for a test debut. And even then, sometimes it doesn't work out. Pakistan, he's good enough. He's played one quick ball. <laughs> yes. 16, let's get him in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, um, and you kind of, there's something romantic about it. Um, which which I enjoy. Yeah, um, the th- the thing and I, I hope the, the the kids do well. Yeah. yeah. The, the thing for me in, in the T20 stuff, some of the messaging from Mizbah, so he's the coach and selector now. So they brought back Umar Akmal and Shazad in from the cold. And he said something like, when you experiment, surprising results will happen in reference to the 3-0 series defeat. And then goes and sacks <laughs> for us for it. So, uh, uh, And he also said, um, if you dig deeper uh, into the run of form that they'd had, our only strength is Barbara Zam's runs, which is a bit harsh on them having the number two and the number four ranked uh, T20 spinner in the world. Uh, but yeah, And there's also, uh, there's been a few more Easteric aspects to the story. Firstly, Upset's fans have been holding a justice for Safraz protests which is again something that might not happen anywhere else uh, and did you did you see the thing with with the tweet that happened do you see that yeah yeah of course yeah, yeah. so uh, <laughs> they had a tweet scheduled to go out marking one year to go until the T20 World Cup and the tweet was a it was a, the raised hands emoji and a, a gif which started with Fakas a man dancing when they're warming up and then progressed to being 
a coach kind of shouting and point, shouting at Safraz and like pointing into the distance and then Safraz walks that way <laughs> almost as if he's giving him like a send-off uh, just after they sacked him as captain uh, which uh, I mean the 108 yards out that's, that's, that's real social, social media mismanagement isn't it um, this is why they shouldn't get a Twitter account it's, it's stuff like this is just going to happen people disaster, yeah, yeah. Uh, so India completed their thrashing with South Africa. I mean, don't think that third test was ever going to go any other way. Rohit Sharma scored loads of runs again. Chikki Rahane back to form, got his first hundred at home for over three years, which is good for them. Uh, and Rohit Sharma had to grift early on. They were <laughs> they were three down. So a few sort of shoots of positivity for <laughs> India. A few extra little bits of happiness for them. Yeah, a few minor issues there. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh look, they're very good at test cricket at home. Oh wow, yeah. what a surprise! But the, <laughs> but I guess the. Uh, the, the best thing for them is that it was the quicks that did it. So a couple of stats. Rohit Sharma now averages 99.84 at home, which is the most any batsman has ever it's averaged. It's not good enough, is it? Yeah. No, yeah. he needs that extra 0.16. Yeah. Um, and uh, India's quicks in this series averaged a combined 17.5, which is their best ever figure in a three-match series. And coming in India is a, a real effort. And I don't know if you saw the very last dismissal of that series, but it absolutely summed it up for South Africa. So Lungingidi absolutely smashed Shabazz and Dean back down the ground, except it cannon into the non-striker and uh, looped up in the air for a single court and bowl chance so that, that's how it's happened when things go their way and uh, I guess we'll end with the uh, the T20 World Cup qualifier uh, where it's it's hotting up so the format there's 14 teams seven in each group the top team in each group qualifies the next three play a sort of playoff thing where two plays three in the other group and then the loser of that plays the fourth ranked team and the winner of that goes through as well as the winner of that 2v3 game. So six teams could progress in total. But you basically... really well with that because I understood that. That was tough. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well done. <laughs> basically, it's pretty close. So it's looking like the top five in each group will probably break away. So Hong Kong, Nigeria, Kenya and Bermuda are probably falling away a little bit. Kenya got their first win, but it was against Bermuda who've been really struggling. There was some talk on Twitter they might not have brought helmets with them because none of the players were wearing them, but they apparently they just didn't, didn't want to wear them uh, against these kind of quite quick bounces. Uh, Leatherlands and Canada are pretty well placed, but it's it's all to play for. But yeah, it's going to it's going to be another really really exciting associate tournament uh, or well, qualifying tournament, showing kind of the depth there is. Scotland have been the team to watch as they often are. Uh, they beat no, they lost to Singapore by two runs and beat PNG by four runs. So yeah, what one to keep an eye on? There'll be loads progressing, a lot of stories, and that'll be like to get to the T20 World Cup next year. It could be who England are playing and next year. Ireland's are moving to that next generation now, aren't they? Apparently yes. some of the players they've got coming through are really class acts. So that's going to be interesting to see. However, they're still being tested. You know, mm. it's not a stroll in the park for Ireland who obviously have a good cricketing status now and they've got Paul Sterling leading the way for them. Yeah, they're, they're in that pack. But yeah, they're by, by no means guaranteed. I, I, I think in a way they, they'd be quite happy with their performance so far because they, there was, not sure where they are at the moment, but there was a point earlier where they were ranked 17th in the world and were thinking they were going to really struggle and they've managed to kind of come on in quite fast leaps in that. But yeah, I mean, imagine for Paul Sterling having given up county cricket status, if they don't make that T20 World Cup next year, that's going to feel like a real a real blow to, to him and some of those other players. And that's the kind of, I guess that'll be the next challenge for Irish cricket. If they do have a slight ebb, then a lot of those players are going to know they can get county deals and they're going to be thinking about doing that I guess well, Tim Murta will be close to the end he hasn't announced it yet but um, and maybe he does play on another year for Ireland and then gives up and plays a year after that for Middlesex but you know there's a one day tour to the West Indies this winter so he'll be desperate to be on that I'm sure um, uh, I don't think I'll be revealing anything to say that he'd be really keen to go to the West Indies yeah. to play in a one day tournament but he'll be close to the end um, and it is although Murta was kind of on the back end of that golden generation wasn't he because um, oh, yeah, he came in late is the thing yeah. He was, yeah but you know they're on they are it's kind of the end of that that generation for Ireland that golden generation so these youngsters that are coming through it will be really um, interesting and well I mean I've got Irish heritage so hopefully um, they are um, you know they are going to be able to um, follow in the footsteps but you know it's a big big call and obviously like I say as much as they're rated at the moment it's not a stroll in the park these qualifiers for them yeah the, actually sorry the Murta thing is quite interesting because I had sort of assumed that Tim Myrtle would just become Middlesex's overseas like um, I think he's good enough I mean he's, I, we found a stat that he's taken more championship wickets than any other bowler this century um, <laughs> no surprise which, which that yeah. was in a piece that Joe Harmon wrote about him and uh, he texted 
Tim the P said, oh, thanks, he's in contract negotiations. <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of thought they might take him on as an overseas for one season. But if they're going to go the route of... Uh, a batsman. Yeah, which, yeah. which absolutely makes sense, I, then... I'm sure Middlesex would have considered it, the overseas, and I'm sure if they weren't in the situation they really do need to find a an overseas batsman, especially if Man, Milan's leaving. If he goes, there's no two ways about it. They have to get in an overseas bat. Mm. Um, if Milan stays, then perhaps they don't need to. Um, and then they could play Murta as an overseas for a year. Um, but it wouldn't be, well, certainly his age, it wouldn't be a long time. But even in just the makeup of the side, if it was to be for a year, maybe, but... I'd be very surprised if they if they had him as an overseas next year. So that kind of gives away certainly what I think will happen, that he'll play out the winter for Ireland and then retire. Um, whereas Sterling obviously retired in September and straight away... Uh, reti- not retired. Um, but he chose not to retire in September, didn't he? He yes. said, no, I'm, a, I'm an overseas player from here on in. Um, whereas Mercer, I think, has that little bit of luxury now to have the winter to work it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as ever, these things are never that straightforward. So that would be my punt on what would happen, but I, I can't guarantee that it will play that way. Yeah, and then obviously after Charles Mann, he'll go on and get a 100 contract and, uh, <laughs> and make the big bucks there. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, where was Murter in the draft? <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, so I think that's about all we've got time for, but uh, thanks, Dar, very much for joining me once again. Oh, cheers, Ben. And th- thanks, Kevin. Uh, thanks very much. Great fun. Thanks for having me. Cool. And uh, I hope, uh, hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed recording it. Uh, if you did enjoy it, please tell your friends about it and subscribe. Podcast Network.